So you guys are considered reality TV. Yes. But I put the real in reality. Nice. <laughs> oh, first, that's not the first time you said that. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> so how much, um, like you go and get, uh, you go and find these claims and that's essentially you're doing. Like, do you have control over where you go mine essentially? Oh yeah, like, that's 100%. All you. Great. That's, nobody, nobody runs down leads other than me. Or, or, you know, my guys, they'll get a call from somebody, an uncle or an aunt or a friend that says, hey, I got these claims over here. And then um, I go run them down. And uh, it's led me whew, around the world. It's pretty fun. Well, because, yeah, your, your show, because originally the show is based in kind of one geographic location, but you've been all over the place. I've been all over the place. Uh, this last year alone, leading up to this season, I didn't have a place to mine. Last year, we we went back, or the year before, we went back to uh, Arizona and finished up, and mm-hmm. we kind of figured we mined it out. We mm-hmm. kind of hit every place that we had. And so then I was just looking, and I went to, oh my gosh, four, at least four different states. Really? Yeah. All over, just trying to find. And what's happening nowadays is that with the, with the oil fields shutting down, you know, our current administration is starting to shut down oil production in the United States. Mm-hmm. Well, you think of all those companies, all those guys that own those companies, they're all natural resource guys. Yeah. And what are they going to do? They're not going to sit around. I mean, we're not, businessmen are not meant to shut their business down and just sit around and wait for something to change. So there, a lot of these guys are natural resource guys. So they're out looking for mines. They're looking for gold, rare earths, you know, whatever they need to mine, cobalt, mm-hmm. Uh, uranium, whatever. And that's what's going on is a lot of these oil production companies are out looking for ground. Hmm. You know, and, and typically just because it has gold, it's got all the other stuff. Sure. You know, what comes up out of the center of the earth, it doesn't just say, oh, I'm going to be a gold mine. Yeah. It's got everything else there. And that's what, those are the things that we need as a nation, you know, because we send so much overseas to get um, purified and and ready to put in, you know, the production. We need to mine. You had talked about that when we were filming this morning about it, it, mining. We have so many resources in the United States. The, the, the amount of resources we have here, that's why, that's largely why the United States became what it, what it is today. Because yes, we have constitution and rights and so on and so forth. But we are very resource rich as a nation, very resource rich. And yet there's this huge movement, uh, environmental movement. And, and it, it basically it's, it's become that like, hey, mining's really bad. So we're not going to do it here anymore. But the problem is we're consuming all of this at an increasing rate. And, and so we have to go get it from somewhere and we have to go buy it from all these other countries. Yep. And that's what, that's what irritates me. And, and I'm okay with environmental... <laughs> intelligent people, let's say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some of them are just crazy. They want to shut down everything. You can't do that. We can't all go live off the grid. It's just not going to work. The world will not survive. We need to manufacture things. And what really bothers me is that we all say, well, you can't do it in our backyard because you know it's going to pollute, it's going to destroy, it's going to do all this. We have the best environmental engineers in the world, the best environmental laws in the world. We have a huge amount of resources. But what we do is we say, let's not do it here. Well, where's it go? 
It goes to, you know, third world countries, goes to countries that really don't give a, a rip about the environment. Yeah. And so are we, you know, this world is small compared to what it used to be. There's millions of people now on this planet that weren't here before. And because the world's small, we still consume all these things. We need all this mining. So we just send it to the other country. Well, that's not really saving the planet. Yeah, our our little bit of the planet is, you know, is not being mined, but it's going to all these other places. And guess where the ocean goes? The ocean goes all the way around. Where do yeah. the trade winds go? They all yeah. go all the way around. It's a small world. It's a smaller planet. Yeah. And we need to, in my opinion, we need to allow the manufacturing of some of those essential elements, you know, that we mine. We send them all overseas. 70% of the rare earths are sent overseas to have them refined and purified. And then we bring them back and put them in our steel to make our airplanes lighter and stronger um, for, you know, the military, even for our electronics. We need all this stuff to help this world continue. Yeah. But yet we send it overseas. And then we think we're saving the planet. Really, we're not. Because if we do it here, we put Americans to work. You know what? We've got better environmental laws, and we can do it if we work together and figure this out. We can still mine safely and effectively. We can manufacture safely and effectively, and have the environment, you know, as a as the largest concern. We can do that. It's and it's a huge bummer. It's not just rare earth because I know a lot of the copper mines, for example, they send all their concentrate overseas. So you you mine it out of somewhere like Arizona. You take your concentrate, you put it on a truck, you drive that truck to the coast probably to Mexico to ship it out. You ship it overseas, they refine it, then you ship it back and then it's utilized here. Yep. And you have to go buy it buy it back or iron ore. A lot of iron ore is going on. It's it's insane. It's, it's exact it's just, it's exactly the truth. And so they send it to Mexico or to China or to you know any you know there's only a certain number of countries. And the reason is because in the earth there's some natural things that aren't real uh environmentally safe. There's arsenic, you know, there's, there's all, there's mercury and those are naturally occurring. But if you can take them and then, you know, like refine them, you can make them safe. You can make them inert. You can put them back in the ground, but no, we just send it overseas and think it's okay because we're not doing it in our, in our backyard and in our home, but it's given a lot of other people jobs. Yeah. And I just think we should do it here. Is it hard to find good ground these days with so many people looking for it? Yeah, that's one of my biggest challenges is to find good ground. You know, when I started this, it's Dave Turns Lost Mines. So I've always been going into old abandoned mines. And one of the reasons I do it is there's a couple of reasons. Um, I feel like, again, going back to the environment, in the old days, when they were mining 100 years ago, they didn't know there's going to be millions of people living on this planet and around where they're mining. And so I have an opportunity to go in next to where they mine, I can mine out the gold and capture that. But I can also have an opportunity to put the ground back better than it was because the old timers did a horrible job. They just turned it upside down, walked away, and they were just paying the bills. Now, we have an opportunity to come in, get the gold, make some money, but then put the ground back. So I really enjoy that part of it. And uh, I also like the history. Everywhere I go, as I'm chasing these lost and abandoned mines, is I get a 
get a glimpse into the past. You know, I can sit on a stream and pan for gold as I'm prospecting. And then I, I almost have an eerie feeling like I'm going where other people have been. Mm-hmm. And people that, that now I can, um, I have the opportunity and the benefit of nice equipment, but yet I'm doing exactly the same thing, you know, the ghosts of the past did a hundred years ago. And it really gives me a sense of pride, a sense of um, connecting with the old timers because I get to see, I'm actually pitting my experience and my knowledge and my wisdom against what they did. I'm a hundred years later, but I'm trying to figure out why they quit here. I've seen where we dig in and I can actually see their teeth mark from a drag line. Really? Oh, yeah. And this is exactly where they quit. And I'm wow. like, holy smokes, they quit right there. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Well, it's amazing how far technology's come. And then it's just something like gold. It's just a lot more expensive nowadays than it was before. And I've seen a lot of operations. Like we went to a gold mine in California. And they there were these, these enormous pits they had dug. And so there were a few of these big pits up in these mountains in the desert and they, they took the tailings and filled in some of these older pits. And what was going on was they were mining one of the older pits out, again, all the tailings, pulling all the tailings out of this Ooh. old pit because the gold content was so good and the gold price is where it is today that it makes sense to go pull it all back out, throw it on a leach pad and go get the gold out of it. Oh, wow. They were re-leaching it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it was all, it, well, it was all waste rock. So yeah. they didn't, they hadn't, they hadn't touched it. There was no, there was no leach process on any of this stuff that they were hauling to the leach pad. Um, but they just threw it away because it wasn't economical at the time to haul it and leach it. But now, hey, gold's where it's at. Let's haul this thing to a leach pad, throw some acid on it and make some gold out of it. And yeah. It's, it's pretty cool. It's, it's an existing mine. And that's, that's what is amazing to me is that people still have, oh, the tenacity to, to try something crazy like that because mm-hmm. that's that's risky business. Yeah. If you don't do your homework and you get it wrong, you lose a ton of money. But they're doing it and see the other thing that's pretty cool about it is you think about what they have to do when they're done. Now they've got a new permit. Now they have to reclaim according to the laws now. So now they got an opportunity to put that ground back better than it was. Yeah. And they're covering up, you know, some of the scars of the past. And that's what it's all about. I think we can still do that in a lot of opportunities. If people would just have a little common sense and trust us as an industry, because let's be honest, you know, the mining industry hasn't been the best, you know, in the past. Mm-hmm. But moving forward, I think we can still do it. Sure. And if we do it right, our industry will survive. If we, if we don't do it right, you know, we're going to keep sending everything overseas. Yeah, it's a huge bummer. I um, And I didn't really appreciate how good reclamation can really be. I went out to a mine. It's called Bread Hills Mine in Mississippi. If you ever have opportunity to go down there, we could hook you up with these folks. The reclamation, it's like 30 years of reclamation. It's a coal mine, surface yep. coal mine. And so they have to reclaim as they go. But the the land that was mined 30 years ago turned completely upside down. All the coal was taken from it. Now has a trophy bass pond on it, for example, that the miners can use. They run a internal deer hunting permit system for the miners. They have all kinds of fruit trees and pine and hay. And it it's this just beautiful, beautiful piece of land that was all mine before. And they're so proud of it. They will, they will tour you 
all throughout that place because it's pristine. You would have no idea it was ever touched by a dragline. Yeah, I love those stories. And you know, that's another thing that's wrong with our industry is we don't advertise, we don't promote the yep. success stories. Mm-hmm. All you see from mining is if there's a mistake made. Mm-hmm. We need to, we need to, you know, put it in the newspapers. We need to celebrate when you do something right. I had a uh, I'll give you an example. I'm flying through Chicago, Illinois one day, and I'm waiting for an airplane. And there's a guy who walks up to me, and he, he says to me, he goes, hey, I really love your show. And uh, I'm from Oregon. love your show. And he goes, my wife hates you. <laughs> and then he, he walks away. I was like, okay, that was great. Nice talk. See ya. And then pretty soon, here comes his wife, little bitty lady. And she starts in on me. She goes, I hate you. I hate your show. I hate what you stand for. And I hate the fact that you tear the ground up and don't put it back. And I'm like, whoa, hold on there. I go, first of all, we reclaim everything. She goes, no, you don't. I never see it on TV. Why don't you do it? I said, okay, hold on. I says, every, I can personally guarantee you everything that I have mined, I've reclaimed. And she goes, well, then why don't they show it on TV? I said, well, that's not my deal. I said, I don't have control over the edit. And, but I said, I do have some pictures. I pull out my phone and I showed her. I said, this is a year ago. This is two years ago. It's three years ago. And you could see the the care and what we, how we put it back and how things, you know, were growing and you can, you can barely, you couldn't tell like on the second year, you can't even tell we mined there. And so I'm showing her the pictures and she goes, wow, that's, that's amazing. Now, I don't know if I completely won her over, but I did tell her, I said, look, I'll give you the phone numbers and uh, let's keep in touch. She got back to me and she goes, I've, I've looked into you and she goes, I've noticed that you do post pictures of reclamation. She goes, I still don't like mining, but I, I like what you're doing. So I, you know, one little bit, I kind of won somebody over. Well, and even if you don't like mining, you still depend on mining every single day of the week for almost everything you do. It, it's so abundant. It's not like, oh, I get my energy from the sun. I don't need mining. Like, okay, cool. Maybe you don't utilize coal, but do you drive on a road, for example? I mean, do you use toothpaste? It's like, it's in everything. Mm-hmm. It's in everything. You know, we're, we're going to electric cars. Those batteries require a tremendous amount of lithium. Lithium is mined. It's a tough, it's a very difficult thing to mine. And once again, we've got lots of lithium here in, in the United States. But to concentrate it, we have to send it overseas again. And we need to start figuring that out to keep those jobs here. And they're high tech, they're good paying jobs. Mining is is a great job. It's good money. It pays the bills. And, uh, you know, it pays, it's a good family wage job and we need to keep them here. And so. Well, and it's not a city job, but where it is, we went to these coal mines in North Dakota recently. Those are the best jobs in the state essentially. Some of the best jobs in the state are at these coal mines. And we asked them, do you have much turnover? No, not not really. Do you have a hiring problem? No, not really. What's the schedule like? You know, they have a seven-day week off every month or something like that. It's pretty frequent. It's a kick-ass schedule. And you start to, and how much do you guys make? What? You guys make that much? It's, you start to paint the picture of, whoa, this really is the best job available in this entire community. 
And so, sure, there's not a big open pit mine here downtown Nashville, but there's some mines in Tennessee, surrounding areas, in these rural areas where it's that's the best job you can have. It's a really, really good deal. It's a good job. Yeah, I've, you know, out of out of this TV show, I, I've always considered myself a professional miner. Um, I've always treated it with respect because there's I stand and and represent so many miners. And it's a it's a great profession, and there's great people, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this TV show was I wanted to show mining with respect and respect the people that have gone before me, the people that are doing it now, and the people in the future, so that we can continue to do this. Because I I meet some real characters. You you travel. There's some characters out there, and everybody's got a story, and I love listening to their stories. It's pretty fun. Has the Defi show, has it changed your perspective at all? Do you view do you view things differently now after doing the TV show for so many years? <laughs> I view TV different. <laughs> <laughs> Don't believe everything you see on TV. Uh-huh. <laughs> but uh how do you how do you walk that fine line of of com- creating compelling TV and also honoring those that have come before you, making the industry look good and not because you can take it too far. I've seen it taken too far in some applications, not with you, but with others. And it does drive people nuts. But also your your job is to make compelling TV. You're and right. sell ad space. So how do you that's, walk that line? That's a great question. You walk that line. For me, I've, you know, on, on some of the other shows, it's a, you know, it's a different line. I would say, and this is what I tell my guys, I want it to be, 70% real. And I feel like there's about 30% that we have to, I wouldn't say we make it up. For instance, let me give you an, an instance. Uh, let's say we're mining and, you know, the camera crew's not there 24-7. And there's a lot of times when you're mining or in construction or something that at the end of the day, something breaks. Well, the camera's, cam- camera crew's not there. They didn't capture it. So, we break down and let's say one of the main excavators breaks down. Next morning we show up and we're loading with a small excavator and everybody's complaining because it's slow. Camera crew's like, what happened? Well, the excavator broke last night. Well, wait a minute. If we don't capture it on camera, we can't, you know, it's not part of the story. So guess what? We got to make up the breakdown because they didn't film it. So then that's when we become actors. Now, did it really happen? It happened, but we had to reenact it so that we have it for camera. But that's, you know, that's as far as I want to go with it. I don't lay awake at night and go, Hey, I wonder what I'm going to break tomorrow to make good TV. (laughs) It's not what I do. And the reason, part of the reason is that we are really mining for gold. The gold means a lot to my guys. It's what pays the bills. It's what gets their kids to school, pays for college, pays for the house bills. We need it. And so that that makes it real. There's enough drama in what we do anyway. And I just feel like we're trying to make a real show and we want to add the history and characters. And and so far, so good. We're in our fifth season. Start, crazy. Starting our fifth season on Dave Turns Lost Mind. The, something people say a lot is we need to make the industry cool again. And I, I, I've always scratched my head at that. I'm like, well, it's already, it's already pretty cool. 
it's it's really cool. We're we're using these massive machines. We're moving mountains. Literally, it's awesome. You can put an eighteen year old kid into a half million dollar truck and let them barrel down a road at 40 miles an hour, 40 tons in it. It's cool. Uh, we just need to tell that story. We just need to show people. We just need to bring people along because that's the downside of mining. It happens in these far off lands that we don't, normal people don't even know exists. We need to bring them along, but you don't really need to dramatize it all that much. You don't need to dress it up because it's, it's just badass as is. You're right. And I got to give you credit. You have you have brought mining and heavy. <clears throat> you brought mining and heavy construction um, to the forefront. You have made it cool, and it's it's the pictures, it's the videos, and that's what people were all, you know, sensory driven. But when you see the sun setting and you see big haul trucks and big excavators, what we do is cool. I mean, some of the places I've been, Yukon, I've been to South America, Colorado, Oregon, Alaska. What we do is amazing. And we get to show the world. So what you're doing, what I'm doing, it's making mining kind of cool. And I enjoy it because it is. Where else can you go play in a giant sandbox with these giant toys and move a bunch of dirt and find gold? It's pretty cool. <laughs> what were the what were the highlights of last season for you? Highlights of last season um, was actually we end up in Alaska. I love Alaska. You know, some it's not for everybody. It's a remote land, and we're away from our families a lot. We don't have all of the the comforts. We live in you know fifth wheel trailers. We make a nice camp, but you're still away from family. You're away from everything, but. Me personally, I love it. Robert Service, uh, who was a Yukon miner, he wrote a, you know, he wrote poems. And one of his poems was about how the far north draws you back. It's got a, it's got its like hooks in you. It, it captures you and it keeps pulling you back. Every time you leave, you think about the far north. And I don't know what it is, but there's an allure to the far north that that just keeps drawing you back. I don't know if it's the environment. The land of extremes, you know, the animals. It's just I, I love it up there. And uh we did good. We we had a good year. Is mining different up there compared to say Colorado, just because it's more remote, it makes it a little bit more challenging, or how's it different? Alaska as a state is much more miner friendly. It is unbelievable as I do travel around to the different states how much easier some states are to mine in. Um, and I don't want to, you know, name off a bunch of names, but it's a huge difference. I can go into some states and I can have a permit in a week. Some states literally is years and millions of dollars. And it's just a matter of the way the state's set up. If they, they want mining in their state, they're going to allow it. If you if they don't want mining in your state, doesn't happen. Well, in in some states, it's it's a lot of revenue for the states. Mm -hmm. Mining is a huge economic huge, has huge economic impact in a place like Alaska, and resources. That's really the primary industry up there is resources, yes. logging, yes. oil, mining, and some. There's some countries out there that like I went to Saudi Arabia. That's how the whole country finances itself. 
is on natural resources. They're trying to expand beyond that and become a lot more diverse, but they're very resource friendly, obviously, because that's how they pay the bills. That's how they finance everything. And uh, the United States, I think that's another reason why the United States isn't so pro mining anymore is because it's not paying a lot of our bills anymore. But in a place like Alaska, it's still super, super critical to the local economy. Yeah, I love Alaska. They they are mining friendly. Uh, you can go in there and get get your mining permits. And <laughs> here's an example. The other day I was redoing it because I had to do an amendment. And one of the administrators calls me up and said, hey, you need to fix this and do this. I'm like, okay. So I resubmitted. He goes, well, you, and then he calls me back and he goes, you didn't check the right box. He goes, do you mind if I check the right box? So he's like, yeah, check the right box for me. And you know what? That's helping Mm -hmm. because the permitting process is difficult. And for me and my small company, I'm the guy. I don't hire engineers. I don't hire, you know, uh, people to do that. I have to do it. So I have to figure it out. And they're like that state's very, very helpful. Nevada's another one that takes advantage of their natural resources. Do you know that if, if Nevada was a country, just the state of Nevada would be the fourth largest gold-producing country in the world? Is that right? Just Nevada. People don't know that. That's amazing. I, people come up to me and go, you know, what are you doing? I'm, well, I'm a gold miner. What? People really mine for gold? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> they still do. Our, our electronics uh, consume about all, I think I read... Of all the gold that's pulled out of the ground, like currently, I think it's like 45% of that goes to electronics. It's amazing. Yeah, it's uh, gold's not going away anytime soon. And that's the gold mines up. It's really Elko and that whole area, that northern Nevada area. The gold mines, it's Nevada gold up there. Now it's Barrick, Newmont, just these monster mines, monster mines, huge operations. And that's if you live in Elko, you're tied to the mines in some way or another. You either work for them, you work for a company that works for them, your dad works for them. It, you are tied to the mines in some capacity up there. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. They move some dirt. <laughs> they move some dirt. They make my operation look like like I really am in a kid's toy box. I've wanted to get up there so badly. Um, how many How many guys did you have last season? We run with six guys, myself and five others. And then Shelly runs the gold room. My wife. So it's pretty pretty lean operation. Very lean. I like it that way. You know, Aaron, I had growing up, like in our rock core and stuff, I've done double shifts, you know, extra crews. And you can put on double the amount of people and you really only get about 30% more production. But boy, the headaches that go along with it, the breakdowns and the, you know. So I just kind of committed to uh, and it goes along with my style of hiring people. If if I don't want to hang out with them, I don't want to hire them. And at this point in my life, I have the opportunity to work with people that I like working with. And so keeping it small, I, I love all my guys. I like hanging out with them because we're with each other so long. And so that's one of the things that I've learned is at this point in my life, I'm going to work with people I like and I enjoy. And we, you know, have common themes and you're literally you're living with these people yes it's all you're living like in a place like alaska you're in a camp and so you are with these people you're working with them you're living with them all summer long all season long 
you don't you don't leave these people. So if you don't like one of them, that's a long, it's a, a long, long few months. It's a long time. Six yeah. months. Six months. Yeah, we're we're with each other for six months. But part of that is good too. <coughs> you know, part of it can really be healthy mm-hmm. if things go well. Sure. But as a leader, it kind of comes back to me. And I'm trying to start to turn that over and, and teach and mentor so that I don't have to be there all the time, so that they can still thrive and be good people and effective and get gold. Because you're that close. It's it's hard. It's like a marriage. It's like a family. Yeah, we there's a few people here today. We um I started out running around the United States, traveling around the United States, taking pictures. I still do that. So we have these media teams and you'd have you'd travel with a few people while you while you go out there. And so before we hire some of these folks, we have them out on trips to just make sure, even if they're just a fantastic shooter, super capable, whatever it is, do all the, the culture interview, everything, pass the flying colors. We just want to make sure are are they do they get a little annoying day two? Like because you can you can you can make up a lot of stuff in a, a one hour interview, but if you live with someone for a few days, you travel with someone for a few days, you start to get a little tired. You start to really figure out who's who. And uh, it's, it's an important part of our hiring process to make sure like, yeah, we can hang out with them. We can travel with them. We're, we're good to go. Yeah, you're right. Cause you have to hang out with them a lot too. You're traveling and, and then the, <laughs> a lot other of time. Thing, the other thing too is it takes a certain mental toughness to get out there and like, where you go, it's dusty. It could be cold, raining, whatever it is. I mean, you if you want to capture the real part of mining, like you do, you're going to get dirty and dusty, and you're going to be uncomfortable. And a lot of people can't handle that. And that's same with you know what, what we with what we do. We've got to make sure that whoever we hire has got to be tough enough to actually handle you know those kind of environments. We we did a training. Uh, a, just a, a basically like a half day training where we, and it wasn't perfect by any means, but it was like a simulated, you know, we have two crews and we're laying pipe and we had equipment and everybody had shovels and here's how to lay the pipe. And we, we could have done it much better, but it was our first, first time Alex went through it. Whole company out there. And so <laughs> I was just talking about the other day because we're trying to do more of it, but in a more cohesive manner. We were kind of winging it before. And some of the negative feedback about that, <laughs> that that training exercise was that it was it was a little too hot and uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. When I heard that, I just started chuckling because I'm like, that's the point. <laughs> that's that's exactly yeah. the point. It's not supposed to be comfortable. This is what these people do every single day of the week. And we're trying to get a, a greater sense of respect for those people. We don't have to live you know, in their shoes every day. We don't have to do, say we do what they do, but at least give us a little taste of this is what these, what these guys put up with all the damn time, all the time. They just, they're out there in the elements. You can't complain. I can't go to the the boss, the foreman and say, Hey boss, it's just a little too hot today. It's a little cold. <laughs> it's a I don't, little I don't cold. like that water yeah. running down the <laughs> yeah. back of my neck, down my pants. Yeah. Any chance we could take a day off? Uh-huh. Nope, not gonna happen. Yeah. I'll tell you a real quick story. So we're uh we're in the Yukon, right? And uh this is the weird story. So somebody from Oregon drove all the way up and they found us. They tracked us down, they found us, and they end up, you know, in our camp. And uh, I think it was a Saturday. We were about done working. And uh, so Shelly was talking to these 
these folks that wanted to kind of see us. And so Shelly's talking to her, these people, and the lady goes, uh, well, where do you do your hair and makeup? And Shelly goes, uh, nobody does hair and makeup around here. She goes, well, you're a TV show, aren't you? And Shelly goes, yeah, we are. Well, where's your, uh, they call it craft services, mm-hmm. which is something I learned later, which is like your cafeteria. And Shelly goes, well, we cook for ourselves. And this lady couldn't figure it out. She goes, well, you're a TV show. Why don't you have craft services and hair and makeup and your own trailer? And Shelly goes, because we're minors and they're doing a TV show about us. Uh-huh. And people don't understand that. They yeah. think it's just all TV, but it's not. I mean, we're we're mining. Well, I think that's a that's a big misconception about your show and and the others out there. It you're it's a mining operation. You're yep. extracting gold from the ground. You are selling that gold on the market. You are reclaiming the earth. You're using equipment. It's it's a fully functioning mining operation with a camera crew there that essentially they live with you guys. They're not always filming, but how often are they there? Yeah, they're there. Oh, they try to split shifts. So they're usually there 12 hours of the day. And then they we've made it a point that we don't have our camps together. Mm. So wherever we go, we try to separate those out so that we can be a team and that they can be a team. Um, so they, yeah. But it's, all, it's, again, I always go back to, I always include them in the meetings for, for team. I believe they're as much a part of our team as, as you know, it goes both ways. And so in, in all of our meetings, they're always there, especially safety. We always have, uh, you know, once a week at least. Normally, it's at least two or three times a week we have safety meetings. And we go over what's going on in the pit. Because when you're mining, things change so quickly. You know, one day we've got a road here. Well, the next day we'd mined it out and the road's over there. And so we have to have constant training and safety training with everybody. Because it gets pretty, gets pretty chaotic. You know, not only are we dealing with our own equipment, our own uh, vehicles moving in and out. Now you put a bunch of British people out there trying to drive around a pit. It's it pretty crazy. Running around big cameras. Oh yeah. <laughs> and the thing that the other thing that's very scary is camera guys got a big. They're carrying a big camera around, right? Mm-hmm. Well, really, they they're looking through a lens. They don't see what's going on one side of the other. And so it gets, yeah, it can get pretty scary. We've got to have a lot of watching out for each other. Do they, do they build the story themselves? You guys operate the mine and they go create the story. They kind of create the story out of what happens. Sure. Let's, you know, let's say we ran out of gold in this cut and we have to move to this one. Mm -hmm. And then they, you know, we move over to this one and now the gold's not as good. Well, they'll try to make a story out of that. Like, well, you just left a really good paying cut and now you're opening up this new one. And so, you know, we'll, we'll talk through that. We'll, you know, give people clues and try to explain, you know, because me and Jason, if we move to another cut, we know why we're doing it. Yeah. This one has been this good. We know that at the top, there's not as good a gold as you go down and you'll, you'll find better gold. Well, they'll try to, you know, make a story out of that. Well, are you sure you should be moving over there? Mm. Maybe you should stay there. Mm-hmm. Maybe you should have gone deeper. Well, what happens if it runs out? I mean, those are all questions you ask, but in mining, you just kind of keep going. And, you know, as long as you've done your 
homework and your research, you got to stay with that plan. Sure. And that's what we do. Well, mining is is still a very production-based industry. So if you're not putting material through your plant or through your sluice box or whatever it is, you're not making money. Exactly. It's all about <laughs> putting material through the plant. And so if nothing's going there, you, there's nothing getting paid for. You're right. I always tease my you know, excavating contractors. I kind of give them a bad time about, oh, you're running your, your machine. Oh, you get paid for by the hour if uh-huh. it's time and materials. When I could be running the machine, yeah, and if there's no gold in that, I'm running all those machines for free. Sure, and then it's on me because I picked the wrong spot. So anyway, I love to give my you know my dirt moving friends excavating contracts a bad time. Oh, you are getting paid for that machine, <laughs> whether you make a mistake or not. You're still getting paid. <laughs> uh-huh. um, the the leases, they're leases, so you're on somebody else's land, correct? Yes. So even, you're, it's you, just permission to use the land. Correct. Even in Alaska, it's state lands that we're mining on. So we pay the state of Alaska a lease to mine on that. Now, we own the claims. Sure. But we have to pay them a lease. Um, every state's kind of a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, Colorado, we were actually mining on, uh, it was the city's property because they bought it for water storage and then allowed us to mine it because they're going to fill it for uh, water storage. Oh, really? Yeah. And in right. their state law, it might get it wrong, but in the state law said that you have to reasonably take those minerals out if you're going to change. So in other words, if they're going to put, you know, a pond or a, oh, a big water storage yes. and there's gold underneath, they have to reasonably try to extract that. It's in their constitution. So wow. they had to reasonably try to get somebody to extract the gold out, which then they can take that resource. And, you know, some of that goes back to the state, to the schools, to, you know, their towns, all that, you know, it, it helps build communities. And so they, they let us mine that take the gold out because eventually it'll be underwater. They're going to build a big reservoir. That's fascinating. Yeah. I think I'm trying to go out to one of those reservoir jobs in Colorado. So maybe that's the one. They're they're starting to work on it. Yeah. Up in Leadville, Leadville, Colorado. Leadville, yeah, that's up there. When you go there, don't tell them you're a miner. Sure. Not, not a fan <laughs> of miners. Huh? Tell, tell, tell them you're a, you're a digital promoter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, digital marketer. <laughs> there you <Yeah>. go. <laughs> That's a fancy name. Sure. Um, Colorado, it, it's like you said too, 100 years ago, mining used to be, and you were talking about it earlier today, there were thousands, tens of thousands of people in the mining industry, and they were all just kind of going after it. So you can be back in the mountains of Colorado, and there's mine shafts all over the place, all, all in the, it, it's all just there. Like I go to Telluride, Telluride in the, mm-hmm. in the summer. You can see all the holes that they've poked in the in the side of the mountain going after stuff a hundred years ago. It's spectacular. Unbelievable. Yeah. Telluride, Breckenridge, Denver. Yeah. All along the Platte River. Um, there's gold every all over in Colorado. And there's mm-hmm. holes everywhere. Mm-hmm. But people that live there now don't realize that. You know, they think it's just skiing and backpacking and but it's huge. There's a lot of gold still left in in Colorado. Yeah. And uh but yeah, you can look around and and uh, holes everywhere. Uh, Breckenridge was a, a huge mining area, and now they've reclaimed over it. 
and you can't hardly tell a lot of spots, but if you look real close, you can, you know, the history is there. Yeah. The history is still there. The reclamation process is interesting because like you'll go in and uh, historically they would just basically turn the land over. And if you don't have, you, you can't do that because nothing's really going to grow. So are you, as far as reclamation is concerned, do you plan all that out in advance? How do you, how do you go about reclamation in a little bit more of a tangible manner? Yeah. Every time I go to a new spot, a new area, before we start tearing it up, I try to look and you start to develop a plan in your mind. But the first thing I look at is the topsoil. So the topsoil is, is the key element in reclamation because that topsoil is a living organism. Everything in there is alive. You know, you've got all the bugs, you've got the roots, you've got the spores, the seeds, everything's there. And it's got all the nutrients it needs. So you've got to really protect that. That's the first thing you want to do. So when you go to protect it, you want to move it to a spot, you know, where it's not going to erode. It's not going to, you know, go back into the streams. But you also have to think, what's the easiest way to get it back over when you're done mining? Um, in, in Montana and Alaska, you, you try to do concurrent mining. So if, if I'm out on the front, on the backside, is, as I'm moving you know, one way, the backside is always being reclaimed. So I can move the topsoil to the back and all of the spoils can go back in the old hole. And so it's concurrent you know, reclamation. But when you do start, you have to think of the end play before you start. And if you don't do that, you, I've found, and it's from personal experience, you get in trouble. If you just haphazardly go, all right, push that over there and push this over there, and then you, it's just chaos. So you've got to have a plan. And typically, it's you push your topsoil to one spot where you can get back to it. And then you try to leave it there and not mess with it. Mm-hmm. You let it live and breathe, and, and then you bring it back over and you reclaim and, and keep going. Because the, the reclamation is essential, but you're also not getting paid for it. You're yeah. getting paid for the gold you pull out of the ground. So you need to do reclamation in the most efficient way you can get it, or else you're burning money that you just made over here, and you could be screwed. Yeah, and that's the biggest problem with uh, people in my business is a lot of times plaster miners, they go in, they get the gold, they got money in their pocket, and they walk away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we can't continue to do that because it, it leaves it a mess. And then what happens is they spend their money and then they don't save enough to do the reclamation. Um, I hate it. I hate that because I feel a definite responsibility. Um, and I'll give you an example. When we mined in Guyana, South America, nobody cared in South America. Nobody reclaims. There's just piles and you know, open pits everywhere. When we walked away from there, um, we had a deadline. And I said, I'm not walking away until that's reclaimed. And there was two of us that did it. Nobody else cared. But I was not going to walk away. And you know what? I was so proud of that. I walked away. I took pictures. And I I can still see it in my mind right now. Nobody knew. Nobody cared other than me and the other guy that was standing there with me. And we walked away. And at least in my own mind, in my own conscience, I was like, okay, I didn't leave this place worse off than I came. 
And that, that meant a lot to me. And it did cost money, you know, and it always costs money, but it's the right thing to do. And, and a, a responsible miner has to keep that in mind. And if we, if we do the right thing, we'll continue this industry. If you got a bunch of bad apples that don't do the right thing, it's going to go away and we're going to continue to ship jobs overseas. That's exactly it. Yeah, because it's, it's going to go away, like we talked about. It's going to go away in the United States, but it's not going away. Mm-hmm. Can't, can't go away. No, it's, it's, it's not possible. We need to still fly airplanes and have electronics. As long as we keep doing that, we got to keep mining. The uh, in the coal industry, they actually there's there's bonding necessary for the coal mines, so they hold a large sum of money until you've proven that you've reclaimed the land, and you don't just have to prove that you've reclaimed it visually, but what happens is you have to prove it's as productive or more productive than it was before. So a lot of times they'll grow like again in Mississippi or up in North Dakota, they'll grow hay, and they'll have to prove that the land is producing a certain amount of hay oh wow, or a certain amount of pine that's equivalent to what the surrounding untouched land provides before they'll actually re- re- release the money. Wow. I didn't, I had not heard of that. It's very interesting. Wow. Yeah. I, Cause we have to post bonds also, mm-hmm. but our bond that we post is strictly based on how much dollars per acre it's going to cost to reclaim it back to original. Hmm. And then that's the bond that we post. Gotcha. What What were you talking about this morning with us? About training. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what were you talking about? Well, I was talking about that same thing. It all goes back to if we don't train, and if we don't train well, um, and we don't give people a sense of pride in what they do, I don't, again, I don't think we're going to, we're going to keep, this industry alive and healthy. Um, our industry is getting older. Our workforce is getting older. And if we don't train properly, and it's not just training for how to run a piece of equipment. It's not just training how to be safe. It's also training to have pride in, you know, in your industry, who you work for, what company you work for, and the people you're working with. If you have that pride and you and you love it and you're passionate about it, then we're going to continue to thrive. How has the way you go about training changed over, over the years? Well, I used to train. I'll be honest with you. We talked about it this morning. Um, when I did safety training as a young man, when I first got into this business, I did it only because it was a requirement. And when it was just a requirement, it's something you're required to do. And, you, you know, and that's what the law says. It really is not very effective. Let's be honest. If you train and say, all right, guys, we got to do our eight hours of safety training. All right, sit down here, watch a video. Here we go. And everybody's asleep. Nobody cares. I found that uh, we were having, you know, we were having some close calls because people were doing things that, you know, weren't 100% safe. And what I found is the more that I took it seriously, if, if I take it seriously and I do it because it's smart, it makes sense rather than it's a requirement. And I train because, you know, I'm passionate about it. It's much more effective. And if you include people and you, you invite them in, 
And you don't say, hey, go watch that video. There's your safety training. You invite them in and you have a, a real discussion and you have a partnership where we both buy in. Then it becomes effective training. So that's what I've learned is that I have to be invested. I have to be all in on the training. And then it permeates. Then those guys have, they know that if they shut down a job because there's something that's not safe, it's okay. You know, I can't say that 20, 30 years ago when I started this business. I'd be like, well, you shut down for what? <laughs> because there's a wire that's, come on. Mm-hmm. Now I'm like, okay, let's take a look at it. All right, let's fix it. Okay. And, and I have to empower them. That's one of the things that's key. In, in, when I have our safety talks, I give people permission to speak up. I look them in the eye and I say, you have my permission to call me out. If you see me doing something stupid, you have my permission to talk about it. And when you empower somebody, now they're, you know, they're in on it, right? They're like, all right, I, I got the power to tell the boss to shut this thing down. Now, it better be worthwhile. I mean, it can't be a stick in the road or something like that. But if it's real, oh, you bet. We're going to stop and talk about it. Well, and, and calling it out like that, I think is important too. Because for you being the boss, you can just, you, I, at least I've made the mistake of assuming it's understood. Like, of course, yeah, tell me about this if something's a problem. But you have to tell people that, hey, it's okay to do this. It's okay to tell me this. Or it's okay to shut the job down because maybe they've never had that power before. And you have to call it out and explicitly spell it out or else it's it's not necessarily going to be understood. And it's not be, just because it's simple to you doesn't mean it's simple to everybody else because you're in a different, you're just looking at it from a different perspective than they are. Yeah. You're exactly right. Um, and when you, you know, when you look somebody in, in the eye and say, you have my permission, mm-hmm. it means, you know, it's, it's much more. It's not assuming, like you said, because I assumed that, well, if something's unsafe, okay, they're just going to, well, that's, you can't assume something like that, especially when it comes to safety. But if you give them your permission, you know, and then that also, it empowers them to, you know, not only, you know, call me out or to, to bring it to my attention, they also start looking. You know, they start looking, is there, you know, is there, a be- but it also goes beyond just safety. I, I give them permission to speak up. I empower them to try to come up with a better idea, a better way to move a truck in, a better way to, you know, run the wash plant, a better way to set up our sluice boxes, a better way to do a cleanup. I empower them. I said, bring it on. Now, a lot of times, we have to talk about it because if if they bring something in and go, well, how about we take that truck around the other side? It'd be a lot safer. But if it cuts into production, I go, all right, well, how about we just put berms on the road to make the road safer, but keep them going in the most efficient way? So it's, you know, but I've listened. I've acknowledged that they had a good idea. And then if, if we can put it into action, you know, it empowers and emboldens those people. It sounds simple too, but you, especially with safety, you just genuinely care about them. Yeah. And there's so much safety out there that's just like, well, the rules say we need to do this. So that's just the way it is. And it is, you just roll your eyes. You're like, 
okay, I'll check these boxes and just get this done with. But if someone says, hey, here's how it is. Here's why it's this way. It's because this way, ultimately, because I really care about you. And I want to make sure that you're okay at the end of the day, because that's all that matters here. Whoa, I am way more likely to listen. I am way more engaged. If I feel genuinely cared for, hmm. or I tell people a lot, uh, you know, when people come into our business, we genuinely say, hey, we trust you. We really trust you. And the amazing thing is we don't get screwed all that much, you know, knock on wood. But when you just genuinely trust people, you give them their trust, your trust, and they, well, oh, I, I have his trust. And shoot, like he really means it. I better not screw this up. They don't screw it up. It's amazing. But if you just look around and, well, all these people are just idiots and I'm, I'm the smart guy and they're all lazy and you can't trust anybody. And it's, it sounds ridiculous, but those are things people say a lot in this industry. If you say, yeah, I just can't trust anybody or yeah, no one listens or no one cares or anything like that. It becomes true. Yeah. You're exactly right. And the other thing I tell, like during our safety meetings, you know, it's basically, I say, look, we have a great training plan, our safety training plan. We've got all these rules. And I'm like, it don't mean, it doesn't mean anything. You and me, I'm going to look out for you. You look out for me. That's how we're going to remain safe. Because I, I, you know, I basically, I love you. I want you to be around, but I'm going to watch out for you. I've got your back. And when you tell people that, and now you got to have my back. Now we're going to take care of each other. The safety plan is great. And it is. It checks the boxes. It makes sure that you're doing your right things. But ultimately, if we have a culture and an environment of watching out for each other, and we're looking for things that might go wrong and be a safety hazard, that's what's going to save us. That's what's going to save that camera guy who's trying to get the best picture and he's laying on the ground, you know, as a excavator tracks going by his head. We're like, whoa, hold on there, cowboy. You can't do that. So it, but if I'm watching out for him and I'm taking care of him and I got his back, I, I feel when you're totally invested and you know, you both bought into this, that culture, then we're going to stay safe. It's, it, it's pretty straightforward. This isn't terribly complicated. It's not, is it? <laughs> We're both responsible too. That's the other thing I say. Yeah, yeah. Is I say, look, we're going to train you, but it's you're responsible. You're responsible for your own safety just as much as I'm responsible for your safety. If you go and do something that's really stupid, like jumping off of the back of a high wall or something, mm -hmm. sorry, <laughs> I can't. You know, I can tell you all I want, but you've got to take responsibility for your own safety. Well, and that's a big thing that I've noticed over the past two years is everybody telling me that my safety is their top priority when it's clearly not. It's just a, it's just a lie. It's, it's the, the, the airline gets on and says that there's no other priority other than my safety. And it's like, you're just lying to me. I know that's a lie. I, that's, that's just a flat out lie. And you get fooled into, it almost fools you into thinking that, well, Everybody else is in charge of my safety, so I don't even need to worry about me. It's just weird. It's just gotten, it's gotten out of hand. Like, yes, you and I need to care for one another, and you and I need to watch out for one another. But also, at the end of the day, it's my, my responsibility to make sure I go home safe every day. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> it's just, it's insane. Because it's just, I have so many people saying, I'm their top priority. It's like, wait a minute. Is that really true? 
And I, I hope I don't believe that because then I start to get fooled into thinking that, shoot, okay, great. They have me covered. I don't need to be safe. I'm good to go. You're right. And, and in our business, complacency is the worst thing when it comes to safety mm-hmm. because you become complacent. Just like you said, oh, well, Dave's got this safety plan. We've got the best safety. You, you know, we've done 600 days in a row without, a, without an accident. Everything's safe. And then you get complacent. And then you just go about your business. And that's why I always tell them, it's your responsibility. It's my responsibility. And we need to look out for each other. And if I'm looking out for you and you're being complacent, I'm like, hey, Aaron, hey, get off the phone. Let's go. Load that truck. You know, we get complacent. And that's that's the biggest, I think, one of the biggest, uh, you know, things. It's the biggest scare in safety is you just get complacent. I've done it this way for 30 years. I'm just keep, no, that ain't the right attitude. The bad, it, it might sound bad, but I'll, I'll think sometimes like, man, if I get, if, if, if I'm running or crossing the street in a stupid manner, if I get hit by a car, it, they're on the hook for it and they're going to have to pay for it. Like I'm, I'll be good to go. But then I think, okay, so even if they are liable, I'm still hit by a car. Like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to be good to go. And I'm still having to deal with that. I don't want to get hit by a car, even if I'm in the right and they're in the wrong. I'm still hit by a car, so I better watch myself because it's in both our best interests for me not to get hit by a car. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When mom said, "Look both ways before you cross the street," uh-huh. probably a good idea. It's a good idea, but it's amazing how a lot of people don't do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, yeah. What's what can you say about the upcoming season, if anything? There's a there's another season coming up. Yes. Season four of Dave Turns Lost Minds coming out in May. And uh, I want all the all of your friends to know about it. So you got to tell everybody. It Dave comes Turns, up in May. Yeah, that's, in May. That's coming up. Yeah. Wow. And then we're preparing for season five right now. Gotcha. Yeah. So season four, it's always about a year behind. So what you're going to see uh, in May in season four happened about a year. About a year ago. Hmm. And so then we we're going to start mining in season five. And uh, yeah, it was a crazy start. I mean, you're going to think, you're going to think I don't know anything, but <laughs> yeah, it was a pretty crazy start. But we ended up, you know, we ended up good. So good. You'll have to watch. Stay tuned. And they can find that on Discovery. Yep. If you have Discovery Plus, you can watch all the old shows. If you have just Discovery Channel, it'll the debut will be, I think it's May 13th. May 13th. Very cool. And then when does the next when does the next when does the mining season start in Alaska? In Alaska, I'm hoping to be up there about May 15th. May 15th. Yeah. And it's still so a little a lot cold. Of snow. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Where we were or where we're going, there was like there's like 10 feet of snow right now. Really? Yeah. So I can't get in there. can't get my equipment. And my wife loves it because it's the off season. Uh-huh. So I get to play more golf. Uh-huh. I get to visit, visit Nashville, Tennessee. Sure. It's all good. Yeah. It's not a bad deal. Yeah. And I get to see my family. So I really love my family and that's our off season. Very cool. I get to see my family because I don't see them much when I'm mining. It's, is it seven days a week when you guys are going? We do six. Six. Uh, you know, where we're, where we are, we don't have somebody washing our clothes or 
getting groceries. We're, mm. we're self-sufficient. So we have to have at least one day, you know, do our laundry, um, call home, buy groceries. Yeah. I don't, I just, you know, I'm not going to kill myself anymore. So sure. Yeah. Is Six days a week. Sun up to sundown. What are the hours? Pretty much. Like? Yeah. yeah. Sun up to sundown. Well, in Alaska, you have 24 hours a day. Yeah, I was going to so, say, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You have to take that into consideration. Uh-huh. Alaska is a crazy place. That north is a crazy place because you go up there and work, and when you've got 24 hours of daylight, your body just wants to go. Mm-hmm. Now, if you do that for more than four or five days, oh, boy, you go, you come crashing down. Yeah. But it is crazy because you have to, you know, you have to put things over all your windows to make it dark so that you can sleep. Your body's kind of crazy. It, it wants dark to sleep. Do you have to haul everything you need up there, essentially? Yeah. Everything that we need and have, we have to get up there. Um, the big equipment, we had to put it on a barge and then truck it another three or 400 miles from wow. the port. <laughs> I spent a lot of money moving the equipment last year. Uh-huh. And it's going to be worse this year because uh, fuel prices are out of the through the roof and they're only only going in one direction i know is gold up though gold's good yeah i, I thought gold it went to 1900 the other day really i was like woohoo i went and sold some too yeah, hopefully it stays yeah. stays around there i know with inflation going up it's only going to go in one direction typically that's what happened inflation yeah. goes up gold goes up yeah because it's secure you know you mm-hmm. hold it in your palm and it's real yep i it, i'm always amazed at you know, at the end of the season, we spent millions of dollars. We end up with this gold. And you look at it. And to me, it's like an inventory. It's how we pay the bills. Mm-hmm. But you look at it and go, why? <laughs> why did man put value in gold? Mm-hmm. Well, you read about it, and it's it's really made up. It's largely made up. And sure, there's industrial applications for it and electronics and this and that nowadays. But originally, uh, the history of gold, it, it wasn't at all valuable. They just needed something to trade back and forth to assign value to different goods and services. And it was scarce in short supply. It was malleable. They could work with it very easily. So they just started using it as a currency. And there we are. There you go. Yeah. So my uh, my idea is I want to trace, you know, I do the history. I want to trace back, way back and go, where did King Tut's gold come from? Mm-hmm. King Solomon. Yeah. Where did all that gold come from? Yeah. Hmm. Sounds like a good idea. Aliens. Aliens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Same place the pyramids came from. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, we uh, appreciate you stopping by. I'm looking forward to that that new season. That should be pretty cool. Well, thank you. I really appreciate what you do. I feel like I, I love the fact that you're taking the dirt world and the mining world into the 21st century, uh, and you're making it cool. I'll I'll give you an example. Um, I've got a uh, a nephew and uh, smart kid. He's a little bit not much older than you, and uh, started his own excavation con you know excavation company, and he's doing great. He's got twenty thirty employees, you know, doing a great job. Got a good business going, but he follows you and he loves your stuff, and he then tells. If there's people that are looking into it or or even he uses your stuff as a tool, say like somebody asking for a job, he goes, well, go check out Aaron's stuff. And so you're doing it. 
you're helping, you know, even a small contractor in Oregon. So keep it up. Pretty cool. I love it. I like to hear that. Cool. Well, Dave, thanks for stopping by. Thank you. Thank you.